This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. 2011 is expected to be a year of great innovation. That's the good news. The bad news is that fraudsters are doing a great job of keeping up with, and in many cases ahead of, those innovations, especially in the ACH space. Malware and phishing attacks continue to plague the financial industry and its customers. As we look out on 2011, what steps will banks and credit unions take to curb ACH fraud? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Dave Jevons, the chairman and founder of IronKey, which specializes in online security. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Jevons, who follows up on his conversation about online security with some insights about the need for more channel integration and cross-channel fraud detection. New threats in the area of phishing attacks are also posing new challenges for financial institutions, and the continuous evolution of Zeus, as well as other malware, will be a problem in 2011. Now, going back to the survey results that I noted earlier, it's a 50-50 split when we look at financial institutions that have addressed ACH fraud versus those that have not. To what do you attribute that disconnect, and why are some waiting to address this type of fraud? Well, I think what you see is that the cyber criminal world, and particularly for ACH fraud, is relatively concentrated. Um, there are a number of gangs that are very sophisticated. They're making a lot of money. But they will target institutions, they will target corporate banking customers. Remember how many financial institutions we have in this country. We have thousands and thousands of them, almost 10,000, depending how you count. So there are many, many, many institutions that just haven't been hit yet. Their customers haven't been affected. But when you get hit and it's a six-figure or seven-figure loss, especially for a smaller financial institution, it makes a big impact. And they're scrambling once they've had these issues to come up with solutions. And as for the rest of them, it's sort of a, well, I haven't seen it, so why should I invest? It's sort of a, why should I have insurance kind of thing if I have never had a car accident? Yeah, until it happens, you don't realize how much you need it. Exactly. I mean, it's just like seatbelts. You know, people oftentimes don't wear them, and, you know, we have laws and fines and things now to to make people wear their seatbelts. Now, going back to to talking about some of the channel integration, stronger channel integration could help when it comes to identifying ACH fraud, but many institutions are addressing cross-channel fraud manually, comparing online anomalies with POS and ATM, red flag transactions, if you will. What would be some better approaches to helping them identify some of this cross-channel fraud rather than the manual approach? Well, what I have found is that uh, there's really two approaches here that I think could help. One is better communication around incident reporting across channels. So centralized database where somebody reports fraud on one channel, um, it can actually be reported and shared with other groups that might be looking at fraud across other channels. Um, For example, and on the internet side of things, you might have a customer who reports uh, some kind of credit card fraud. Somebody, you know, took over their credit card and used it on the internet. Um, they might want to be able to you know, report, hey, my account was taken over, what are the IP addresses? Today, some of that ability to share that information between IT, between fraud, maybe between the ATM group, that's just really not there. The second thing, of course, is cross-channel reporting, the ability to t- gather all kinds of information and put it into a data warehouse and build correlation tools. And some of the more sophisticated, larger financial institutions have built systems like that, and they are finding them invaluable in being able to detect 
at a very early stage patterns of friendly as well as unfriendly fraud. Now let's go back for a moment to the discussion about malware. According to a recent report from the Anti-Phishing Working Group, 54% of PCs are infected with some kind of malware. How can the financial industry combat growing malware attacks when consumers are logging on to online banking accounts from infected PCs? Well, I think this is really a new generation of how we think about security. So if we think about, say, 20 years ago, online banking was all customized software that users would download and run from their computer. And, you know, it was a customer support burden for the financial institutions. When the web came around, people were elated because, hey, I don't have to manage my uh, customer's computer anymore. I don't have to manage software. I just do it over a standard browser. I think we're coming back to the stage where we have to take a little bit more responsibility for our end user's environment. And that's really what we're starting to see now is technologies which are relatively lightweight, which can be deployed to an end user that can start to protect against malware, that can provide authentication combined with isolated environments around malware, that can uh, provide reports back to a financial institution about a customer's computer that might be infected. And then the financial institution can notify the customer, for example, or restrict the kind of transactions that that customer can do because they're in a known risky environment. So we're back to this, I think, stage where we want to at least provide more of a secure bubble for our customers on their end computer, but without all the hassles of deploying custom software. And uh, and that's what the security industry is starting to provide. Again, you've gone back and reviewed some of our survey results and supplied Mm. some information in advance. And one of the things that you noted was that antivirus tools are probably relied on too much. And they're really relatively ineffective when it comes to malware protection, yet the industry continues to use them as the primary source of defense. Why are we so in the dark when it comes to proper protection? And how do we break that cycle, the cycle of continually investing in ineffective tools? Well, I think that, uh, you know, antivirus tools, particularly signature-based, you know, they have their place. They've been very effective in the past. Um, The fact is that cyber criminals have figured out how to largely defeat that, primarily through what we call polymorphic malware, meaning that every single piece of malicious software is different. Therefore, signature-based approaches won't work, and that's how most antivirus products work. I mean, the good news is that Customers have been educated that they do need to take some kind of measures for security. They should probably have firewalls. They should certainly have antivirus. But the signature-based approach really only works at a very primitive level. It frankly cannot keep up with millions and millions of new pieces of Trojan malware that are released every month. Um, So I think what we have to do here is, one, change the education cycle. So we've got to be able to educate users that just an antivirus thing isn't enough. Um, We need to start thinking about what are the different approaches, whether it's virtualization to isolate browsers, whether it's uh, behavioral-based anti-malware. These are the types of things that the industry needs to be working with the financial services industry uh, to create security programs and create advice that consumers can use in a very simple, um, easy-to-understand way. Uh, Again, antivirus is not totally ineffective, it's useful, um, but it's not enough. We need to really apply the, uh, the enterprise approach of layered security even to our end users. Um, Zeus is evolving. It's hitting 
more banking channels today than ever before, and of course the online channel is only part of the concern. What role will stronger authentication play in helping to curb our vulnerability to Zeus? And if stronger authentication is not the answer, what is? Well, stronger authentication is definitely needed. And um, I think that, again, what we've seen is FFIEC guidance on the consumer side of things. There was a lot of activity on the retail side of the banks over the last five years to strengthen up their authentication capabilities also their back-end um, transaction anomaly reporting. That type of effort needs to be applied to the wholesale side of the bank, and um, in many financial institutions, those are very different groups, and uh, the commercial banking side of things has not benefited necessarily from the work that's been done on the retail side. They have got a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do to catch up. Um, you're right, the Zeus malware and other uh, variants of malware, there's other groups out there now. Um, they are evolving very quickly. They've almost you know, opened their platforms up, so there are basically numerous different groups that are building plugins into this malware. We've started to see Zeus malware on the mobile phone platform, looking at kind of how they would infect the phone as well as a computer to defeat authentication. So strong authentication is definitely something that's needed, it will make it more difficult for cyber criminals to uh, commit larger scale ACH fraud. It needs to be combined with uh, dual authentication of transactions. For example, having somebody initiate a transaction and someone else inside of the company approving uh, the transaction. But here's the rub. It won't fix it completely. It will narrow the attack surface, and here's why. Many of the victims are small companies where there may only be a single proprietor who initiates and approves transactions. So having dual transaction authentication for a small business, for example, an electrician or a, a carpenter or um, you know, a, a, a small company that, that uh, does um, home remodeling, they often have only one person who does all the transactions. And in that case, authentication can be circumvented and it's just not enough. And in closing, Dave, I'd like for you to share with our audience the top three to five security threats you see catching most institutions by surprise this year and what steps they should be taking now to prepare. Well, so I see a few different things here. One, we're going to see more sophistication on the malware front. It is, uh, it's basically a trend that we've identified for the last three to five years. We've seen malware evolving very rapidly in Brazil. We've seen it moving very, very quickly in the United Kingdom. And now it's here in the United States. We're going to see real sophistication. The next thing we're going to see is automation. And this is kind of scary. So to date, most of the ACH-related fraud that's driven from the cyber channel has been done by hand. So somebody will be sitting in Eastern Europe, for example, and watching a user's computer as they log into their online banking system, as they authenticate, they'll then create a session, hijack it, and then start initiating transactions. It's done by live people in another country watching user sessions. We have evidence that that is starting to move to an automated channel where they are able to start automating transactions across multiple computers. That's scary because that could mean very large-scale losses very quickly across multiple financial institutions. And um, I think that's something we're going to see, given the evidence of 
trial malware that we're seeing that attempts to automate already. Another threat that we're going to see, I mentioned a little earlier, is targeting the mobile environment, targeting the, um, the tablet-type environment, the pad environment. We're going to be seeing more of that. That is going to be um, malicious applications that pretend to be legitimate financial services applications. It's going to be other types of malware on jailbroken phones, for example. So we're going to see more and more attacks on the mobile environment. And it's interesting because you look at the mobile environment for banking and people are moving more and more to it. Maybe not for all their banking, but certainly to check balances, to do some kind of payments, to deal with overdrafts. And you know, we're seeing a, a quite a growth in that channel. We're going to see the growth in the attacks. Yeah, it makes sense. We're going to see two other things that I think uh, folks need to think about. One is a lot of financial institutions are relying on back-end heuristics to detect fraud. Clearly on the consumer channel, it's crucial, and there's been you know, decades of uh, investment into, particularly on the credit card side of things, fraud detection, fraud prevention. It works really well. We're starting to move that to the business channel, and there are some simple things that work well today. For example, if a customer always makes payments into uh, the U.S. or into the state that they're located because they're a local business and then suddenly starts moving $10,000 at a time to the Ukraine, well, that's something that a fraud detection system should be able to pick up. The reality is the bad guys are figuring that out, and when they find financial institutions who built in back-end heuristics for business payments that defeat that, they're going to start creating payments that are indistinguishable from legitimate payments. We're going to see, for example, much more use of money mules in the local area so that payments will appear to be local. We're going to see a lot more clean web transactions that will not give away the fact that it's an automated remote bot that is initiating the payments. It will look like it came from the user's computer and it will not have signatures. So that's going to, I think, take some institutions by surprise. And they need to start thinking about not just back-end heuristic detection, but also what can be done at the front end to help the user protect themselves, either through software or hardware combinations on their computer to create some environment that where the user can help protect themselves as well as the back-end system. And finally, I think the thing that will take some people by surprise is we will see more insider collusion inside of financial institutions or social engineering of trusted insiders inside of institutions. We've seen some of this already where, for example, people inside are selling databases of customers, giving out email addresses of customers. Again, not a widespread problem, but something that has happened already. We're going to see more of it. And what it will do is it will result in very larger scale uh, data breaches, which will result in larger scale fraud. Dave, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Dave Jevons of Iron Key. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kim. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.